Brothers and sisters, take your Bibles, open your Bibles to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, this morning we will, I will complete this portion of the first half of the chapter, Uh, so if you would stand with me. We're going to ask the Lord's blessing upon us, and then I'm going to read verse 1 down through verse 10. Let's pray together. Now, blessed God, we come to submit ourselves to You. Lord, even this very hour, this next hour, we pray and ask that You would, Lord, liberate our minds where we have become enslaved to wrong ideas, where we have given our thinking over to the ideas and the ideologies of this world. Lord, liberate us. Free us. Lord, set us free from our own ignorance and help us to understand. Help us to, Lord, be able to think critically and honestly, Lord, about ourselves and about Your glory and what it means to be a Christian. Lord, we pray that You would... Bring our hearts, Lord, in conformity with what we know to be true. Lord, train our affections and our emotions to maturity. Lord, let our emotions comport and complement truth, honor, glory, righteousness, and holiness. Make us a mature Christian. Lord, make our paths straight. Where we have habituated ourselves to something or to some activity or method that is not useful and good. Lord, we pray that you would break that habit. Lord, give us all that we need this morning. Give us, Lord, greater grace where we need it. Lord, we come to you not only as men and women, but as families. And we ask your blessing upon us individually and collectively. We ask, O God, that what we learn, what we see, what we come to understand here today would be applied to ourselves and to those whom we love, those whom we are in charge of, those whom we have care for. And we pray for us as a church body. We pray, O Lord, that we would thrive in the things that are true and good, that we would be quick to repent and then quick to believe and do what's right. So, Lord, come and bless us with understanding, with righteousness and holiness in Christ. Come and exalt Christ to us and help us to walk after Him as His disciples. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, now, beloved, I want to read now what James pens in chapter 4 of those first 10 verses. Listen to these words. It says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. But He gives a greater grace. 
Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, beloved, it's, it goes without question that every Christian in this room is familiar with repentance. We all have some understanding of what it means to repent of our sins. We all should understand and have experienced that initial repentance that takes place when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. That is, when we come to faith, a fruit resulting from that saving faith is repentance, a desire, an urge, an unquenchable desire, a need to confess our sins before God. That continues on in the Christian life. Not only should we be familiar with that original repentance that comes with putting our faith in Jesus Christ and confessing our sins before Him and confessing more than anything that we are sinners and that we are in need of salvation, which repentance perfectly states. We should all be familiar with that Daily repentance or that common, ordinary daily repentance that should be a part of every Christian's experience. And so this morning we have the opportunity or the privilege to look at our repentance, to examine our own repentance and to see if it lines up and matches with what James writes in this book. We have the privilege and opportunity to ask ourselves some questions about our repentance. We may come, we may be here this morning and have this understanding that, well, repentance is simply going to God and confessing something we've done wrong. Doing that in a very general way. And God is gracious And it doesn't matter if I really feel broken for the sin or not. He's going to forgive me. It's easy, brothers and sisters, to become calloused and hardened or um, in some ways very passive when it comes to repentance. By passive, I mean it's just something we do without much thought. It's something we pass over very generally. Lord, forgive me of my sins and we move on to something else. Hopefully this morning the Spirit will work in our hearts and and help bring us to a really deeper experience when it comes to repentance and what it looks like from God's perspective and what it should look like from our own. 
Another aspect that I think we need to take to heart and be mindful of is the fruit of repentance. That is, it's not simply a confession of sin, but how often have we really sought to bring about the opposite of what we repent of? Fruit. To see it cultivated, to nurture the positive, to nurture the virtue, to nurture the holiness and the righteousness, to see it watered, to see it thrive, to see it grow, and to see it become a characteristic of our own lives. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we should be striving for and looking for when we think about what it means to repent of our sins. And this morning, beloved, if you're taking notes and you wish to jot something down regarding this message, is I'm going to address and deal with two primary characteristics of repentance. Two primary characteristics of repentance. Now, I say primary characteristics because without these, there's no real repentance. Without both of these, there's no real repentance. You have to have both. They both need to be a part of our psychology, of our emotions when we come, then when we bring ourselves before God in repentance. Now what I mean by must, if you don't have them, you're not repenting. And we may, be, we may find ourselves after this message this morning with the reality that we have not repented of much sin. You know, that might be a reality we have to face. It might be something, some sober reality we come to, to recognize about ourselves that, you know, that um, we come to be, a, we come, we are made aware of how frivolous or cheap we have treated the grace of repentance. And we would need to repent of that. Well, the two characteristics that I want to bring out of the text before us from verse 5 to verse 10 are these. Number one, the exaltation of God's grace. God must be exalted in repentance. Yes, He must be exalted. When we come to repent of our sins, we must have a mindset that is given toward the holiness, the glory, the superiority, and the majesty of God Himself. We must find ourselves, brothers and sisters, enamored by His person. Who He is. What He is. What He has revealed to us about Himself. How He has demonstrated. How His character of glory, love, compassion, mercy have all been consistent with all of His actions found throughout the Bible. We must, when we repent of our sins, have this mind toward the character of God in His glory. The second thing we must have when we come to repent of our sins it must, and it correlates and comports with the exaltation of God is the humbling of the sinner. I must be humbled. I must come to a place of where I empty myself before God. I must come to a place where I see that my own 
strength is really no strength. That the, own, the things that I exalt most about myself are nothing, are nothing in the sight of God. The things that I brag about myself the most, the things that I love to talk about myself the most, all of these things, brothers and sisters, must be put down. We must learn that when we come into the presence of a glorious, exalted God, that we cannot come and exalt Him and exalt ourselves at the same time. We must humble ourselves. And I'm not talking about that that fake self-deprecation. You know, you may call yourself a worm, but you don't believe that. You may, you may say to yourself, oh, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. You may quote from the prophet Isaiah, but you don't believe in your heart and in your mind that you're undone. You believe that's actually a quality that others ought to emulate about you. So brothers and sisters, how often, listen, that when we come into this arena of glory and grace to repent of our sins, that we see our repentance as a trophy. Something to be honored, respected. Something, oh, if you could just take my prayers and put them in a book, others would benefit so much from them. And we must learn true piety, true humility, a true humbling, not the fake deprecation that exists in the church. It exists, it's real. Let's, let's not fool ourselves and not be naive. There are those people who love to deprecate themselves in front of others so that they can seem so holy and pious. But in their hearts, all they're doing is exalting themselves over everybody else. Now these two characteristics that I've just described for you are essential they're essential. And they must take place when we come to God to repent of our sins. I don't need to um, spend a lot of time reminding you of the context of this repentance. It is in the context of worldliness. It's in the context of this 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 insatiable appetites for, for pleasure, for the things we want, the things that, that we desire and we're willing to murder and lie and cheat and bear false witness to get. We're willing to connive. It's, it's, it's just this, this envy and what James calls envy that is so rampant around us. It can't help but touch us. You see, the person that James is actually telling, uh, the person that actually is in the context of this call to repentance is, is this person that's justified their anger and their bitterness. Remember who James is writing to. James is writing to the dysphoria. He's writing to those Christians that have been dispersed abroad, that have been uprooted from their callings and their homes and their common 
placed their dwelling places and they've been, they've been spread out over the empire and imagine how easy it would become, how easy it would be to be bitter, angry, to have to relocate, to have to, to uh, put your hands to another job, another way, and then having to work with people that may take advantage of you. And then James writes, he says, but don't you see, don't you understand that God is in control, that God holds all things in His hand. He's the God of sovereign providence and He's orchestrating and working all these events out for your own good and glory. Open your eyes. Open your spiritual heart to see and to understand that God is working on your behalf to do you good. Because there is nothing greater and better, brothers and sisters, than to come to faith in Jesus Christ. To come to real and true faith in Jesus Christ. And to mature and grow in that faith. To grow up in it. And to become stronger. To become more determined, loyal. To become more fixated upon your service to Him. Nothing greater than that. It's better than all the gold and silver in the world. As we look at God's uh, grace, as we look at this first characteristic of repentance, brothers and sisters, the first thing that we will derive from the text in verse 5 and 6 is the, the, the encouragement the encouragement to come to God, ye sinners. To come to God, ye sinners. Look at verse 5 and 6. He says, or do you not think... Now, James loves these questions. He says, do you not think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? Do you think... What is James... James is saying, do you think the Scriptures have no purpose? Do you think they're just a bunch of words, narratives, and stories? He goes, no. He says, he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. He says, do you not think the scriptures have no purpose? Do you not know and understand that when you became a believer or that when, that when you believed in Christ, all of that was the fruit of the Spirit indwelling you, given to you by God, that the Spirit that God put in your heart regenerated you, made you alive, and caused you begin to thrive and to be hungry and thirsty for holiness and righteousness. He gave you a desire to seek after God because before that you didn't. Before that you wouldn't. He says, do you not know that the Word of God has a purpose? And that purpose is that the Spirit in you would comport with the truth of the Word of God. That would, it would yearn in you to do what? To know and understand the Word of God. That's why, to be a, that's why brothers and sisters, you can always separate the real Christians from the fake ones by their use and obedience and love for the Word of God. If they don't honor the book, if they won't submit to the book, if they won't obey its commands, they are not Christians. 
because the spirit, James says, that God gave to you yearns and calls for the truth. What do you think's countering these selfish desires? When you have a selfish desire, when you find yourself envying somebody else, when you find yourself, and that envy moves to hatred. Oh, do you want, you deserve it. Don't you? I deserve what they have, and I want it, and I'm, I'm going to get it, and I'm going to speak evil about them every chance I get. Whenever their name is brought up, I'm going to yeah, but they, you know, they're jerks, right? You know they're jerks. We envy. What do you think counters that in a Christian? What do you think, what do you think cuts cross-grain to that as a Christian? The truth of God's Word. And the Spirit's bringing that to our awareness. The Spirit's causing the Word of God to, bring, to, to come to bear against those lusts, against those desires, against those what James calls those evil passions. That's what James means. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Listen to me. Look at verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me go back to my original point. As we talk about exalting God, we have to address and deal with this open invitation for ye sinners to come and repent of your sins. There's an invitation to do that. And there is nothing greater than a sin, than there's nothing, there's no greater words that a sinner can hear from their father. But come, son, I know, daughter, you've sinned against me. I know you're a sinner. Come and repent of your sins and I'll forgive you. Why? Why? Because. When we come to faith in Christ and we find ourselves in these, these big sins, we find ourselves in this idolatry of the world. Now, I dealt with that last week. I'm not going to deal with it here. These influences, these, this orientation. You find yourself there. And it comes to your awareness. The Holy Spirit brings the Word of God a bear in your spirit. And guess what? You feel ashamed. I, should, I shouldn't act that way. I know better. I shouldn't be that mean. I shouldn't be that unloving. I'm ashamed. Then Satan comes along. And he goes, right, you shouldn't be, but you are. And you don't deserve to go to the throne room of God. You despicable sinner. See, we don't want to go. We don't want to go. We're ashamed. We're humiliated. We feel guilty. We're burdened with guilt. And we're like, why should I have to? I, 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 keep, I keep saying these things. I keep doing these things. I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm ashamed of myself. And brothers and sisters, what we must understand is that there is an open invitation from our Heavenly Father to come and repent of your sins. Because He knows that we are sinners. He knows we are sinners. And sinners sin. 
Yes, we have been delivered from that power of sin, but we still live in the reality of it, don't we? We still live in the habit of it. There is this invitation. This invitation is a return to God. Notice what the notice how James creates this invitation. He says, "No, don't you know?" In verse six, he's a giver of greater grace. Why is that important? Well, brothers and sisters, this is important because oftentimes I see my own sin as stronger than my will. How about you? That my sins are often bigger and stronger than I am. And I don't seem to fight them well. I don't seem to put them off well. But James says, no, no, no. Come to your heavenly Father. Come to your Savior and do what? And receive greater grace. Greater than what? Greater than your sin. Greater than your sin. That God's grace is greater than your bitterness. God's grace is greater than your anger. God's grace is greater than your lusts. Yeah. That's encouraging, isn't it? James, in exalting God, says, Come, sinner, come to the fountain of greater strength called God's grace. That should, in one sense, humble us, right? Because we, what do we realize? We don't have the strength to overcome our own sins. We didn't have the strength to save ourselves. We acknowledge that. We've come to faith in Christ. We've acknowledged that when we prayed and accepted Christ and put our faith in Christ and repented of our sins. We acknowledged all that. But somehow down the road we come to believe that we don't need God's grace to continue with us. We don't need it. And therefore, we pull away from the means of grace. We minimize the means of grace. We don't really use the means of grace to our benefit. Now, James exalts God's grace in this invitation. He says, oh, brothers and sisters, listen to me. Don't you, do you not know, do you not know that not only has God given you the Spirit, who desires the, the word of truth, who desires to be conformed to the word of truth. And what a blessing that is. Where would you be without that, that beckoning in your, heart, in your heart and soul? Where would you be without that, 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 that angst of holiness? Where would you be? Well, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. You'd be chasing after the world. You'd be chasing after the world and all that it has to offer. And you'd be doing it with laughter and joy and gladness. James deals with that in the text that we'll be looking at in a minute. No, he says he gives greater grace. He gives you the Spirit and he gives you the, this greater, stronger grace. This is an invitation. Come ye sinners, repent of your sins. Your heavenly Father is not going to beat you down. He's going to receive you. He's going to, to bring you into His presence. He's going to forgive you. That is so, such good words. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. Go, go past Psalms. 
Go past Psalms. Go past Job. I'm going to show you, I'm going to look at this prayer here and then we'll move on. Nehemiah chapter 1, I want to begin reading at verse 5. I want you to listen to these words, to this prayer, okay? And I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, and on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the Son of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, uh, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote parts of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. Now they are your servants, your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Oh Lord, I beseech you, may you ever be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today. And grant him compassion before this man. You know what he says? Listen, what does he say in verse 9? If you return to me, return to me. You've been rebellious. You've been adulteresses. But I'll take you back. God is exalted. I wonder how much damage has been done to many Christian lives when they listen to the lies of Satan. You can't return. You can't come back to God. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't return. Don't worry. You're a sinner. You can't help it. And they listen to those lies and their lives are completely uprooted and destroyed. And all the while, God's The God who is so great in mercy is standing there saying, just return to me and I'll forgive you. Just come back to me and I'll restore you. Just come back and I'll renew all your passions of holiness. and I will give you the desires of your heart in righteousness and holiness. Secondly, not only is there this invitation, brothers and sisters, to come. But there is this invitation to make use of God's grace. And I've already mentioned that in the prior point. There's an invitation to make use of God's grace. And I'm only going to mention this, this one thing under that point. And that is this. Brothers and sisters, 
You are incapable. You are incapable of turning from sin on your own. You need God's grace. If you are here struggling with sin this morning and you don't know what to do, well, first of all, I'm going to tell you to turn to God. I'm going to tell you to acknowledge His greatness. Begin to train your mind and your heart to His, how glory, how glorious He is, how powerful He is, how mighty He is. See, when James writes and he says, oh, don't you understand that, that God is a giver of greater grace, therefore God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. All of this applies to those that I just read in this prayer. Return to me and keep my commandments. Those who love me, keep my commandments. Show me that you love me. Show me that you want me to to work in your life by doing what? By, By being a student of the word of truth. By giving yourself over to the means of grace. By by showing and demonstrating that when you come to worship, you don't come, the primary reason you come to worship is that you may exalt God and worship Him. That you might exalt His name. I want to sing His praises. I want my mind saturated with His glory. I want the pastor to pray prayers full of the glory of God. I want the Word of God to be read. I want to eat every word that is written in that book. All of it that's read, I want to devour it. I I don't even want people, listen, don't distract me. I want to focus upon the glory of God my Savior. That's what I'm talking about. And you won't take anything else from it. You won't, you won't, listen, you will not accept anything else but that. That's, that, that's, that's the difference between being serious and not serious. Right? That's the difference in playing the game. And, and that's what, see, that's what God had to remind Israel about in Jeremiah chapter 3, he goes, you know, you, you draw near to me, right? You come to me. You come to these things. Oh, you heard about judgment is on the way. And now you come to me and you, you cry out in your prayers, Whoa, oh Lord, don't destroy us. Don't bring the calamity upon us. Don't bring these invaders into our land. Oh Lord, continue to bless us and prosper us. And he goes, you draw near to me with your lips, but you know what? I look right into your heart and you don't mean anything you say. You know, it's an indictment upon us. You know, we can pray for the sanctity of life. We can pray for the, the, the survival of the unborn and innocent child and turn right around and do nothing about it. Go about our lives. Not worried about it. This greater grace, brothers and sisters. Let me show you. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. This will be the last thing I'll say about that and then we'll move on. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 12. Now here's the point that 
the Lord is making. I want to begin reading at verse 10. He says, And the disciples came to him. He says, Why do you speak to them in parables? Now Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been granted. That is, Jesus is certainly juxtaposing from the crowd. He is teaching there are two different kinds of people out here, right? There are those who really want to know and will benefit from it, and there are those who are just there for the excitement. Verse 12, There are for whoever has, whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Now this is in the context of knowledge and understanding. That is, that is, we come to this sacred place. What's this sacred place? The sacred place is the Word of God. We come to that which the, the Bible tells us that, that the Word of truth is better than gold and silver. Now there's probably nothing more precious to us materially than what? Gold and silver. I mean, if I were to cast down a gold coin from this pulpit right now, I'd venture to say you wouldn't wait till after the sermon to pick it up. You'd pick it up. Showing value. Showing interest. Showing a desire for it, right? Be thinking about it. Even if you didn't pick it up, what'd you be eyeballing it? No, I don't want Andre to get it. I'm going to get it. On your heart is my point. What Jesus says here, he goes, listen, when you come to these places where the Word of God is taught, where the Word of God is given in instruction, he says, when you come and those who have, what, a desire for it, Jesus says, more will be given to them. But those who come to these sacred moments who really doesn't care about the Word of God, Jesus says not only do what they have will be taken away, but they'll be given nothing. That is, even what they have will be taken away. Let me tell you something, people. There ought to be some advancement in your Christianity. You only have been given so many of these moments. Use them wisely. Because if you come to these moments and you really don't want them, God will take away what little knowledge and desire you do have. He will not allow for hypocrisy in His sight. And that's why you can see people that have been in church for years and are ignorant and don't know anything because they never brought a true desire into those moments to truly worship God and they truly wanted to know Him. God will not be mocked. Comes to my third point. The command to draw near to God. And why is this important? And why do I want to highlight this command? If you go back to the book of James, this is vital. And when I say vital, I mean vital. Where he says this 
verse 7, he says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Brothers and sisters, we are in this this exaltation of God. That is, when God says, look, ye sinners, come sinners, come and repent of your sins, come and confess your sins, I'm going to forgive you of your sins, I'm going to cleanse you of your sins, but I'm going to draw near to you. I'm going to give myself back to you. Now, what's vital about this understanding is this. Without drawing near to God, without submission to God, there is no resistance of the devil. If your heart has grown strong in bitterness and lust and hatred, prejudice, you are in the grips of Satan. The only way to break that grip is to draw near to God. The only way to break that resistance, the only way to come out of that, the clutches of the advocate, the the liar, the, the murderer, the original sinner, the only way to be liberated from that is to draw near to God and submit to Him. You can't have it both ways. You can't with your mouths draw near to God and remain in the domain of Satan. You can't draw near to God with these outward acts of piety, but in your heart you long for the things of the devil. You long for the things of this world. You really are and truly, more than anything else, a lover of this world and an opposer of God. You must separate and break that love affair with the world and the devil and your sins and you must draw near to God. That's what it means. Draw near. Submit to Him. Bring yourself back into what? Subjection. To what? To God's Word. To His truth. To His glory. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you that the the full... The full weight, the full weight and doctrine of Satanism is this. Do what's right in your own eyes. That is, that is the doctrine of Satanism. That's the mantra of the Satanic church. Just do what's right in your own eyes. That's their teaching. How? How, brothers, shame, shame on us. How often have we fallen into that? And what must we do? We must return to God. We must, we, must, we must submit to Him, draw near to Him. That's what it means to draw near. When it means to draw near, look, worship is an act of drawing near to God. Worship is an act of drawing near to God. Old Testament, Jeremiah, Isaiah. We don't have time to look up those passages of Scripture. Um, 
Ezekiel 36. I mean, there's so many. Look, we draw near to God by what? By this corporate and open confession. Listen, and we're so afraid. Well, you know, I don't feel so comfortable praising the Lord. I don't feel so comfortable speaking these truths and all. That's why Jesus said, listen, listen, you're for me or against me. You're either for me or you're for the devil. You are either offending my Father in heaven or you're offending others. That's your choice. And listen to me. As you stand up and as you submit to God, as you stand up for the truth, as you submit to God, as you draw near to Him, guess what? You are going to offend the world. But you've got to be okay with that. Notice the encouragement that James gives us. Um... Verse 7, submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and what? And what? And what? He will flee from you. Isn't that what you want? The only way to get the devil to flee from you, it's not because you're smarter than he is. It's not because you're more cunning and you're going to trick him. It's not any of those things. It's that you must draw near, submit to God, and then you will have the greater grace to do what? Put to death those lusts, hatred, all of those sins in your heart, and the devil will do what? He will flee from you. Amen. Because I'm going to hear to tell you the devil is a master liar. How many times have you sat down to read your Bible and come distracted with your phone? You come distracted with something else. You come distracted with the telephone, with the uh, TV program. You come distracted with because you say, "He doesn't want you. He doesn't want you doing any of that." How many times you young married people come argue before church? That's not a, that's not a coincidence. Some of the fierce arguments a married couple can have is right before church. That's satanic. Satanic. He loves to get your mind and heart off of drawing near to God. Loves it. How many of you kids fight your brothers and sisters on Sunday morning? He loves to get your mind and heart directed off of anything but God and His glory. Brothers and sisters, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this age. Let me quickly, I'm out of time, but I want, I've got to address the second point. We must, in true repentance, is an exaltation of God. I've given you several things to think about. Sufficient. Several, several things that are sufficient to come and to encourage us returning to God and, and confessing our sins. And what I want you to understand, it's just as essential as I talked about, listen, brothers and sisters, to draw near to God is to draw near to God with the whole man. The whole man. Not just your words. That is, you can pray the right words. You can repeat Pastor Stanfield's words. You know, and, and we should learn how to pray by the people that are praying around us. And I mean, you can say, oh, I can say the same things. But if your heart's not in it, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. 
It must involve the whole man. Three things about that. Number one, it must involve the mind. We have to learn to cultivate the right kind of thinking. Knowledge. Knowledge. I was thinking about how we have taught these children the shorter catechism. I wonder how much of it is still there. I wonder how much of it remains. Handing down a spiritual heritage. What have we done as parents to help that, aid that, support that? What have we done as a church to help that, encourage that? Knowledge. You must fill your mind with truth. And brothers and sisters, this world is relentless. This world is relentless with its religion, with its doctrines, with its teachings, with its conformity. That's why, that's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. We must, and that was, those are present tense verbs. The world is always trying to conform us to its pattern of thinking, and yet we ought to always be fighting that conformity with the transformation of our minds with what? The will of God, which is written where? In the Word of God. The mind. Secondly, brothers and sisters, when we repent of our sins, that means we have to say, this is really bad. (laughs) It's really bad. This is no good. Notice what the, right, the, the, the prayer of Nehemiah did. He say, well, I really wouldn't have sinned like that if so-and-so hadn't done that to me. And he goes, oh, no, Lord, we're corrupt. Our hearts yearn for sin. Our hearts look for a way to express evil. Forgive us. Forgive us. Knowledge. Secondly, the will. This is where the fruit comes in. It's quite possible you can be against all the things that that you need to be against, but in your heart you want it. That's why you need to cultivate a heart for God. It's easy to be conservative. You know, I'm not a conservative. I'm not. Because I don't like a lot of things conservatives do. I don't think you can outwardly desire all these things, but inwardly, you know what? You really are a thief. You really are a murderer. You really are someone who doesn't care about others. We can't be that way as Christians. We have to conform our wills to the truth of the Word. And guess what, brothers and sisters? That don't happen overnight. That's a lifetime, isn't it? That's a lifetime of telling ourselves the truth. Lord, conform my desires. Lord, let me not want the things that I hate. Let me not desire them. Lord, I want to keep myself from them. I want to see the destruction of it. I want to see how ugly they really are. Don't paint it up. Lord, don't let me see the lies. You know, it's interesting, right? It's how, we, it's how the world cloaks the, 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 the destruction with veneer. You remember the old, you remember the old uh, program, Pinocchio? You remember Pinocchio? How did Pinocchio get on the island where they all turned into jackasses? You know? 
It was a carnival. Everybody's having fun. It's all a great place to be. This is, the, this is happening over here. This is where you want to be. This is where all the little boys ought to be. He's told not to go. His desires led to him being turned into what? The old donkey. That's what the world does. It puts a veneer over these lies to try to make them look so good. And then the lastly, brothers and sisters, it's our habits, it's our practices. The Lord calls us to repent of our sins and we must come and we must be rebuked in our thinking. We must, we must be rebuked in our will and we must be rebuked in practice. And that's why, that's exactly what Matthew chapter 3 verse 8 talks about in John the Baptist. He says, listen, you need to bear out the fruit of repentance. Don't just say these words. Live it out. Look, if I'm struggling with anger, let me begin a Bible study on what it means to be peaceful. Let me change my mind. Let me change my will. Then let me begin acting out what it means to be at peace. If I'm struggling in any number of areas, what do I need to do? I need to find out what God says about it. I need to fill my head with it. I need my heart changed by it. And I need my, my feet guided from it. All of, that's, all of that is intended in these words. Listen to them. Submit. Draw near. Purify your hearts. Cleanse your hands. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. Notice verse 9. I'm going to deal with this. We're done. What does James mean? Be miserable. Mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Seems strange, doesn't it? Why is that there? Here's what James is saying. This is a part of changing your mind and your will. When people get their way and people think they've got away with something, what do we tend to do? Party. Live it up. Laughing. Come. Oh man, this is living. This is living. What James is saying, now that you know that this worldliness is an enemy of God and you're an enemy of God, now that you know that you're in the grips of Satan, let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your joy be turned to wailing. Because now you know better. What you thought was living really is nothing more than the glorification of death, the death culture. Now let me say this, brothers and sisters. This is probably one of our biggest weaknesses in the evangelical church, Reformed Church. We don't know how to mourn over sin. We don't know how to do it because we don't do it. And you can't know how to do, you can't do something well unless you do it. Right? You got to do it. And I'm not talking about, you know what they would do in the Old Testament, sackcloth and ashes as a demonstration of mourning. Now we don't do that today, but doggone, we ought to do something. I mean, at least there's an effort made to train the conscience that mourning ought to be pitiful, right? But we don't want to put ourselves in that situation. We can't look pitiful. We can't look weak. We got to look big and strong and mighty and pious and all these. That's not learning to mourn and weep and wail over your sin. And that's what we must learn to do, brothers and sisters. Now, I'm going to say this and I'm ending. Until we do these two things, until we exalt God, until we put down the sinner, 
learn to put down the center until we draw near to God, until we learn to wail and mourn and howl. I mean, I want you to think about all the sinners in the Bible. Think about uh, David stands out in my mind. He wailed, oh God, I have sinned against you and no one else. He wasn't saying he hadn't sinned against Bathsheba. But what he is saying is my sin against you far outweighs what I did to her. Learn, brothers and sisters, this day, right here, learn to mourn over your arrogance and your pride and your hard-heartedness. Wail, weep, and mourn. Let's pray.